Hi, and welcome to another episode of Everybody Fits. And I'm Kim. I'm Amy. And today we have a real treat for you. As always, we have the fabulous Ella Law from Ella Law Nutrition. So would you like to introduce yourself, Ella, and tell us a little bit more about you? I would love to do that. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk to you too. Um, yeah, so I'm Ella. I live in Kent with my family and my dog. I'm a nutritionist. Um, my background is in public health, um, but I have moved towards intuitive eating um, a few years ago and have become an intuitive eating counsellor. So I, I work with um, clients in a slightly different way from a normal nutritionist, a nutritionist or dietitian in that we don't really um, do anything about weight or weight loss and we don't do anything about meals or meal plans and um, I don't prescribe um, I just work through various things with my clients to find a better relationship with food amazing so how how did you get onto intuitive eating from like a traditional nutritionist approach mm, that's a good question it was so, yeah, the, the traditional approach that I took was um, public health nutrition. And you know what, how sort of problematic the public health messages can be. Um, there's a lot, um, you know, a lot of weight stigma and a lot of fat phobia in, in that narrative that the um, public health arena uses. Um, and initially, I, you know, I swallowed everything and I thought, oh, yeah, well, that's what it is. And, you know, we need to, you know, do this and do that and, you know, fight the um o epidemic um i don't like to use the word um mm -hmm. and it kind of started to not sit quite right with me because i worked in a so-called healthy lifestyle program with children um and it the, the things that i had to teach the parents felt just off they just felt wrong they were very upsetting and um, I just thought, no, something isn't quite right here. This doesn't work. This isn't working. We didn't see the results that we were supposed to see. Um, and at the same time, we were getting a lot of upset and a lot of um, yeah, parents that, that were lost. Um, and then I came across intuitive eating by complete accident. I went to a conference that I wasn't supposed to be at and I saw Laura Thomas speak. And I'd never heard of intuitive eating before. So it was just all new to me, but I, I literally jaw drop moment. I thought, oh, okay, right. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I really dove head first into it. I did a course with Laura and then I um, decided to go full whack and became an intuitive eating counselor with um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch over in the States. So um, it's quite an intense um, training program, but it is, is so eye-opening to all of the messages out there and how problematic they are so yeah so in a nutshell that's kind of how I veered off the public health track just because it felt wrong it didn't feel like I was doing something worthwhile I, it, I didn't feel I was helping anybody feel better um, and that needed to change and luckily I found intuitive eating when I did and I completely turned everything around and it was a lot of relearning for me as well, because, you know, once you're sort of indoctrinated with all of those messages, when you've done a master's degree in, in public health, it's all in there and you have to really unravel and unlearn all of the things that, that you were taught. Um, so it's, it's taken a little while and I'm still learning now, actually. 
it's crazy to say that it's a new thing because it's it's not it's it's basic human instinct but people just don't really know about it because everybody thinks that we're supposed to live this lifestyle where we manage our food intake by monitoring it in some way um but and I know that this is going to be really hard to put do really quickly but for people who don't really know what intuitive eating is how would you explain it yeah, that's a really important question. Do you know what? I find myself in an echo chamber and I assume everyone knows what it is, but I've, I've, I meet so many people who've actually never heard of it. And um, so I always explain it as um, it, is a, it is a framework of 10 different principles, but these principles are not just about um, food. So some people think that intuitive eating is about, oh, you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full. But it is a lot more. It's a lot broader than that. Um, it involves sort of psychological, physiological and emotional aspects of eating um, and our relationship with food and our body. So bodies come into that as well. Um, and for me, it's I always explain it as it's a shift in attention and focus. So very often when we grow up in diet culture, our attention is and our focus is on external messages. So what we hear from the media, what people tell us, um, you know, they tell us when to eat, where to eat, how to eat, how much to eat. All of those messages are external messages and intuitive eating shifts your focus to your internal messages. So what feels good in your body? What um, do I fancy? What sounds delicious? how do I feel am I hungry am I full what is my emotional state right now and is that reflected in the food choices that I make how do I feel about my body do I move my body in a way that feels good all of those things come into play and you're shifting your attention to that to yourself to your inner wisdom so to speak um so it's a very flexible approach and it's not it's not a rigid program that you follow and everyone can sort of jump into it wherever they're at. So for some people, they need to start with really sort of working on their belief system. For some people, they really want to work on um, respecting their body more. It really depends. And that's the beauty of it. There's nothing sort of prescribed and there's also really nothing you can do wrong because everything that you do um, you approach with mindfulness so there's a lot of mindfulness involved in it and curiosity and without judging everything is a learning opportunity so that's what I really like about it and ultimately what happens is when you when you do all of that and you really explore all of those things you feel really liberated and freed from all of those diet culture messages because you are just listening to what works for you and what is the right thing for you and also you know whilst you never you can't say I'll never have a bad body image day again or I never think any negative thoughts about food you are equipped to deal with those moments and those negative thoughts a lot better and then you find a a much more peaceful relationship with food and with your body and that in turn I think just frees up so much brain space Mm. people who've done intuitive eating and sort of worked on it um whether with me or on their own or with somebody else they always say I suddenly have so much brain space and so much time that I can actually use to focus on the things that I really love doing rather than counting calories and weighing myself 20 times a day and you know buying the latest diet cookbooks and you know planning meals that that's all out of the window because you don't have to do that anymore so it's hugely liberating I think that's the thing and I've said this before that it's so underestimated the relationship that we have with our food um, and how it affects every single 
other part of our life mm. um and I think once you work on your relationship with food as you say it has an impact on everything um and you're not in this I know for me I I was always in this constant state of anxiety over food and and that's the thing it's it's you shouldn't feel anxious about the food it's the thing that keeps you alive like it, it's it's what you know it, it's crazy really um how, when you discovered intuitive eating were you what's your personal experience been with dieting and, and diet culture were you working on yourself as you were learning as well um with the intuitive eating course yeah I certainly have over the last few years since I discovered intuitive eating I think so initially I, I was very lucky I grew up in a family where food was basically not an, a topic of we just ate we there was no restrictions there was no dieting there was no kind of particular food rules anything was allowed we had free access to snacks and my mum cooked a very typical sort of 80s <laughs> packet food diet for us so there wasn't ever any it was it was just a non-event it was just something that you know that was what we did we enjoyed it and then we moved on with our lives and I also have to say I, I grew up with a huge of a huge amount of privilege in terms of um, size and weight um, so there was never any pressure um, on, on me to, to lose weight or to diet. Um, having said that, that came with a, a, a little sort of caveat, which was that I always thought that um, size was something that people valued in me and that kind of became part of my identity. So to unravel that relationship when I found intuitive eating was quite interesting because you know I you know it, it, it was just something that was part of my identity and when that changes as you get older you then have to deal with that in your own way um, but yeah it was I, I think the, the only time when I had a bit of a, um, a disordered relationship with food is actually, funnily enough, when I did my master's in public health nutrition, mm -hmm. because of the messages that I was receiving there about, you know, weight being a problem and um, you really go into the nitty gritty of, you know, what particular nutrients do in your body. And then you become a little bit obsessed about you know, eating those foods and adding those foods in and, and cutting out other foods that are deemed not very healthy. And all of that stuff kind of warped my way of thinking about food a little bit. And I think made me slightly um, on the obsessive side of things a little bit. Also, because I was a nutritionist, I always thought I had to be the role model. I always had to be the one that orders the salad. I always had to be the one that says, oh, no, thank you to the piece of cake. There was this kind of, and it, I think it was just me putting that on me that I had to be the good girl and kind of, you know, do what was expected in my view of a nutritionist. Um, and, you know, with it came some smugness at times, but also some real food envy when I saw, you know, people order a nice steak or a burger and I was there with my little salad. Um, so, yeah, it became a little bit disordered for a while. Um, but then sort of gradually I thought, no, this is nonsense. This is bullshit. I'm not, you know, that doesn't make any sense for me to, to be like that.
and sort of with intuitive eating I moved out of that again that's crazy I think as a sort of being in fitness I think Amy's really it resonates <laughs> yeah like you can relate to that mm. like your your is it your um body is your business card type thing yeah. <laughs> that's what they say I, I feel like it's like that in in any job that you do you feel like you need to you need to almost reflect your your career and and you think that should become your identity when in reality mm. you you're not your job you and everybody's di- literally everybody is different but every human being is different so we don't need to reflect the thing that we do um but mm. I find it really interesting what you're saying about how you develop these habits while you were learning more about nutrition during your master's mm. because I actually signed up to do um a nutrition qualification mm-hmm. a couple of years ago um a more in in depth one that would would give me a, a better idea um and I've got my own history of eating disorder disorders eating and I started doing it and to this day I still haven't done it purely because as soon as I started I could feel all of those thoughts coming back and taking over and mm. it, it kind of because you they go so far into what every different nutrient means and how it impacts your body and why I mean even even yesterday my husband was talking about how he's found out why different waters are different prices from different brands because the mineral contents in some water are higher than the mineral contents in other water therefore the water is better for you the higher mineral content so he said from now on should I be paying attention to the mineral content in water and I was like are you for real like we drink the water out of the tap we don't need to go into a shop and be comparing Buxton to Evian like these are not the but this is other brands are available (laughs) but this 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 is how far society is going like these are the things that are coming through on YouTube and on TikTok and like we are we are analyzing everything to the nth degree and Mm -hmm. and that is crazy and that's why intuitive eating is so important and and why we need people like yourself Mm -hmm. to be helping other people to learn more about it Mm. um it's just so, feels like it's not ne- it, well it isn't necessary to know that much detail really on on how is it on any level necessary to know in detail that much detail how much the nutrients affect the body because it really isn't yeah no, no it isn't no. and, and the, the thing with that is is a really interesting point because it those kind of messages um, get hyped so much on social media there's so many accounts that go on about you know the 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 things that you find in our foods and the the um, preservatives and the additives and all of that but what nobody says is that it's the dose that makes the poison you have to eat a lot of those foods to actually have potentially any negative effect you can't even eat that much and the, everything that is is available to buy in this country is perfectly safe and checked and comparing mineral content in water I mean again you have to drink an awful lot 
of water for that mineral content to even make the tiniest bit of difference. And then we haven't even talked about absorption rates. You know, is your body actually absorbing the whole stuff? You know, it is, mm -hmm. it's crazy. But what really makes me angry and get on my soapbox is that those messages are the ones that everyone hears. And that's the kind of stuff that gets out there and gets promoted and gets hyped. And those are the accounts that have 100,000 followers and people listen to. And it just makes me really cross because it's misinformation. It's like deliberately misleading things to other people to become, I don't know, an influencer or whatever. And I just think it's just really sad. Mm. yeah it's like those pictures where this this one milkshake from so-and-so has the equivalent amount of sugar in as this many donuts or yeah. whatever and I'm like mm. yeah but what if you just want a milkshake yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. Simple. so when you what was the difference when you started using the intuitive eating approach what was the difference that you started to see in the people that you were working with Mm, that's a really good question. I would say the first thing that I generally see in people is disbelief that they could possibly have ice cream chocolate crisps in the house and not eat the whole lot in one go because they're allowing themselves to have it. It is it, literally every time I, I go through this process with a client and they have they have this fear of saying, I had a client once who binged on chocolate regularly and we talked about, you know, how, how she felt about chocolate. She said, well, I shouldn't be eating it. Of course not. Um, and we worked on that belief and why that belief might not be very helpful. And I asked her to buy lots of chocolate, lots of the chocolate bars that she liked. And she was like, mm, I'm not sure about that. And she did. She actually went with it and trusted the process. And she bought loads. And then I saw her a couple of weeks later. And she said, you will not believe I've got a half-eaten Yorkie bar in my drawer. And I'm not even, you know, I know I can have it, but I'm not even interested at this moment in time. It doesn't sound like something I want. And I cannot believe it. So there's a lot of disbelief that actually you're not going to eat until you pop because your body will actually take over and self-regulate. That's the first thing that I notice, that complete disbelief. And then a bit further on, um, what often happens when I work with clients for a little while is that we hardly ever talk about food. Food is like periphery. It's not something that we really go into. It's more about other aspects of life and how, how their confidence goes up, how their, um, their self-care routine improves, how they um, are able to set boundaries, how they are not thinking about food 24-7 anymore, how this kind of obsessive and anxious kind of thinking about food and what they might cook for a meal kind of disappears and goes. And it's, it's so freeing. And everyone says, I've got so much brain space now. I've got so much time now to actually focus on other things. And that's beautiful to see. And there's a lovely development and you can really see that happen. It's that thing, isn't it? That we're told that we have to have rules. We have to, mm. it's like the forbidden fruit type mm. thing. If you, mm. if you tell yourself constantly, you're not allowed it, it's gonna become so much bigger and you're just gonna go for it. But it, it, I think the thing that scares that scared me personally and I think when I talk to 
other people that are still very, very much in diet culture is, is yes, the disbelief, but it's also the, the feeling that if there's no rules, then they're just gonna, just gonna never stop eating, like mm. go crazy. Mm. And mm. I suppose there's a, a part in the process where you actually do allow yourself um, to eat and then allow yourself all of the things that you've told yourself you're not allowed. And then you do eat and eat and eat. I know for me, certainly was the case. And then that scares people because then a lot of the time, the people that have been dieting and dieting and dieting and where their body is just so deprived, potentially, Mm. I'm just talking from my experience, Mm. um, the weight does come back on Mm. and it keeps coming back on. And like for me now, my my weight, um, and I'm not, attaching any moral value to it because I've I've worked on myself my weight has increased um and it keeps on increasing and I but I know that it's going to get to a point where it's going to going to sort of settle um but yeah I I suppose is that that must be quite a big thing for people that they're so scared of putting on weight yeah it's scary as hell and trusting that process is really challenging because you haven't, you have followed the rules and rules are safe, aren't they? You feel safe when you have rules and you feel like you're in control, but actually you're not in control. It's the diet or the meal plan that's in control of you. But it, it yeah, it does feel safe because you feel like you're doing something to stop this really scary thing, which often is the weight gain from happening. But as you said, if you if you let go of those things, yeah, weight gain may well have happen. And that is because your body may have been artificially at a lower weight than it feels happy at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, putting on weight then is is your body's way of recovering. Um, but that's a that's then that then leads to a lot of body image work and a lot of work on, you know, how do how do we feel about weight and you know why why is there this this real anxiety and you know that goes back to diet culture then because diet culture tells us thin is good big is bad um so there's a there's it kind of everything kind of then links into another level um and that's why intuitive eating is a long-term process it's not something it's not like a six-week plan you do it and you're done it's a it's a lifelong thing that you constantly work on but the work becomes less intense if that makes sense so initially you feel it can be a bit overwhelming because you're letting go of so many things that you used to use to feel safe um but letting go of those is scary but when you do that and you start trusting the process and you start learning to um, accept and permit and allow the benefits really outweigh any of the perceived negatives um, and coming round to that and coming to terms with that takes takes time and it takes work so with with a lot of your clients I'm assuming it's it, it's more complex than just new nutrition um because a lot of them will have had this mindset for so long do you tend to find that they're working with therapists or counselors as as well as yourself quite a lot I have it's a bit of a mix I would say um if I take on a client who has a history of an eating disorder so I don't it's out of my scope of practice currently to work with acute eating disorders 
So I refer on if I if I get a, an inquiry from somebody who's in an acute phase of an eating disorder. But with people who have a history of eating disorders and are sort of in recovery and working through things, it can be really helpful to have a therapist involved as well. Um, and then it's important that the therapist is kind of aligned with intuitive eating and health at every size approach to a certain degree or doesn't cover that part at all because otherwise you have kind of conflicting messages but it can absolutely help to so I've got a client at the moment who is working with a therapist on a lot of sort of trauma stuff um, and working with me on mostly the food and intuitive eating side of things and it's a it's a really nice combination to do that but then I have, I have clients who who don't who choose not to um, and because intuitive eating counseling is more than just about the food and the nutrition side of things, um, it can be sufficient for, for people to just go down that route. And, and as I said earlier, it's, it, it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful framework, because you can tap into all of the different angles, um, depending on where your client's at. So for some people, we start straight with body image. For some people, we start um, unraveling sort of diet culture messages. And it really depends on it's, it's, it's that beautiful, flexible approach that kind of helps people to find it really useful. How do you find clients that are trying to reject the diet mentality? Do they, because in my experience, it's they'll work on their intuitive eating. And then once that's kind of, okay they'll then work on the relationship with movement mm -hmm. it seems to me like a lot of people it can, movement can be quite triggering for people that are trying to reject the diet mentality is that kind of your experience as well to a certain extent what I find is that a lot of my clients um, move differently when they start intuitive eating so they might have done a lot of sort of cardio and and hit classes and kind of the, the the more and I don't like to use that but it's it's the more sort of diety kind of exercises that people do to lose weight um because they don't see it as something that can actually be really good fun and strength strengthen their bodies and improve their their overall um, fitness and well-being it is those kind of things that going to the gym that people only do because it's part of their diet. And therefore the relationship with movement is just disordered, just as it is with, with food. So um, I've, I've noticed that a lot of clients start doing um, other things like they go open water swimming or they do yoga or they do Pilates or they, do, they go, go on walks. They move their bodies in a different way. Um, but that's not to say that the other things won't come back in. But I think, I think sometimes it's good to have to have a little bit of a break and then to re-evaluate uh, evaluate what, what is it actually that you like? What brings you joy? What, what can you do in terms of movement that, that gives you fun and you know, doesn't actually link with the diet that you were on before? Um, and yeah, that means sometimes to not do certain exercises for a while maybe go back to it later or maybe just completely change how you move. Um, I've got a lot of clients who are exploring yoga actually, which in itself can be triggering. And I know that you've got this wonderful um, uh, teacher in your, in your membership now, um, which is incredible. And I'm referring like everyone that way because it's really important. Yoga can be super, super triggering for a lot of people when you go to that sort of very stereotypical yoga 
um, instructor who has a certain lifestyle that they promote and a certain way of eating and a certain outlook on, on life, that can be really triggering. So I always sort of ask, how do you feel when you go to your class? And if they say, well, it's a little bit, you know, I feel a little bit bad about myself when I go because I see all these people doing all these movements and I can't do them. I say, okay, stop right there. Let's, let, let us find you somebody that resonates with you a lot better, that feels safe, that feels like they are, um, that are, that, that are inclusive and accepting of, of everybody. As you say, everybody fits. So we need to make sure that the instructors actually include everybody and involve everybody. So yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting thing that, you know, the, the relationship with movement does change. And sometimes it stops for a while and that rest period sometimes is necessary to basically start on a clean slate. Mm. I think that's um, particularly with eating disorders, disorders eating, um, you, you tend to find that negative relationship with exercise. And I know for me, one of the biggest things that they tell you with an eating disorder is if you, you are moving, just stop. And you, you've got to stop for a long period of time because you need to redevelop that relationship with exercise. Mm. Um, and I even a few weeks ago, I had um, surgery and I recognized that as I was having my surgery, I was starting to get anxious and I was starting to get anxious about the thought of not moving. And for me, the fact that that was making me anxious made me realize that actually I need this break because I've been going at a constant for so long that I'm just used to it. it it's not it's not that I need to do it I'm just used to every single day getting up and moving and doing something and and really I need to not do anything and the first day that I didn't do anything I was like oh well this is the world has not ended like <laughs> like I'm sat watching Netflix and it's all fine but it it's it is almost like reprogramming your brain and mm. I think that we need to acknowledge as well that it's not going to it's not the same for every person when you when you come to the approach so my approach versus your approach versus Kim's approach is very different because I've got this um this history with an eating disorder I can never uh, some people you, you do manage to overcome that hurdle I have had 10 years now from the very when my eating disorder first started to where I'm at and it looks very different but it doesn't mean that it's not still there. So mm -hmm. my approach to intuitive eating is that I know that all foods are allowed and I know that I can eat what I want, when I want, if I want to. And that even that for me is a huge thing. But, and we've discussed this before, Kim, I have other health issues that are sort of what, at the back of my mind, always concern me about if I do eat certain things so I do still have that sort of little element of I need to have that control but versus you know 
five years ago where I wasn't allowed to eat a banana or a potato or a, a, a packet of rice or like it, it's completely different because I can now just go into the kitchen and think what do I fancy but some people will be able to completely move away from it entirely and just be able to have that food freedom so do you do you see that sort of different levels of of how people approach the intuitive eating oh yeah absolutely and and, and thanks for sharing that because I think that's really important to point out that everybody is different and everybody has a different history and for some people there will always be that little voice um and and the thing is once you know something once you've counted calories once you've learned something it's very difficult to unlearn that it's not like you take it out of your brain and dump it somewhere it's still there um it's it's more about how do you then respond to it rather than react to it so if you react on it you just go with oh that that's what the voice said so I've got to do that and um with people who've had an eating disorder in the past I often sort of we often give the eating disorder voice a name or we you know we we talk as if it's another person and we think about well how can we how can we chat to that person how can we how can we have that communication and how can we set boundaries and say look I know that that's your opinion but maybe um it's time for you to shush and let me take over for a while and let me explore you know what what is my way of doing and absolutely there are completely different levels and I'd say for a lot of people just sort of taking it on board and running with it is not actually a thing and that is mostly because of all of the powerful messages that we get all the time you know we just have to go to the office and our colleague is talking about the latest diet and how she lost x pounds on eating cabbage or you know the the you open a magazine and there's you know eat yogurts for three weeks and you can fit into your bikini all that nonsense is there all the time we get bombarded with it so of course that voice is there that voice is in my head as well and uh, what you just said about the exercise really resonated with me because I realized over the last couple of years that I also had a bit of an a negative relationship with movement because for me movement was all about you know weight maintenance or weight loss it was never about oh I really enjoy this because I'm not someone who enjoys exercise naturally so I'm not someone who was always into sports or anything so for me it was a, a path of exploring what do I actually like and what is actually good for my body and I had to have a complete break as well for six months when I had treatment for my back and that felt really uncomfortable to have a complete break. That is a really uncomfortable thing. If, if you're thinking, oh, I should be moving, I should be doing this. There's all sorts of shoulds that come up. Um, and as you said, the sky doesn't cave in. I, you know, life went on. I, you know, I was fine. <laughs> and in that process, I could really find out, oh, what do I actually like? What kind of movement feels good to me? But it doesn't mean that that sort of niggly voice isn't still there saying, oh, you've just sat today. Should you not be moving? The should voice is always going to be there. And for some people, it's louder than for others. And then it's, as I said earlier, it's about how do you actually respond to it and how do you deal with it? And that is the key. It's not that you want to eradicate it. It's more about it's there. And I acknowledge it. 
and it's there probably for a reason, probably to keep me safe because that's what it used to do. Um, but now it's no longer valid and it's no longer something that I want to pay a lot of attention to. And then you kind of move through that. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the thing is, is I, I find that a lot of the time, if you've got this sort of voice that's telling you or you should, and there's always going to be somebody out there that that's kind of like, pushing that narrative like even just um obviously the beginning of this week we had that really 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 heavy um heat wave and um i saw a lot of uh, fitness professionals saying oh some movements better than none come on keep going and it's like really no just it that, that's not, you can't say some movement is better than none as a complete blanket approach. Mm. But that's kind of what people are, you know, a lot in the, in the fitness industry, there is a very much blanket approach, which is obviously which leads to this um, negative relationship with, with exercise. And I know with intuitive eating, you know, going back to when you mentioned about the misinformation, a lot of people that I've seen um, on fitness um, influencer in particular, he would always refer, say, oh, you're, you're only an intuitive eater because you know the calories off by heart by now. So, so you, you're just doing it, but that's not intuitive. Like literally it's like, <laughs> this guy has got like over a million followers now. And, and to be honest, I used to, really 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 look up to him and read all his books and stuff and um and 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 I used to think oh intuitive eating like, what a load of rubbish when I was like heavy in diet culture and I didn't know anything about it but the thing is, is it's clear that a lot, a lot of these people that, that slag off intuitive eating they don't actually know what it is they don't know what it is no. they just think that it is literally that oh you stop eating when you're full and um eat when you're hungry and 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 it's just like that and it, it's mm -hmm. so deep um it does frustrate me when when there's this this as I say this blanket approach which needs to stop because that's one of the principles in, of intuitive eating um is to um is to do with movement isn't it mm. yeah it, it is absolutely and it's 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 about so the principle is called movement feel the difference and it's beautiful the way that it's described because it's about feeling what feels good to you and feeling how movement can actually really make you feel good um, and how important it is for your, for your physical and mental health to move. But it's about, the difference is about feeling the movement when it doesn't come from a diet lens, when it's not because of a wish to lose weight or to, I don't know, tone up or whatever people use these days as a, as a descriptor for why they're exercising. So it is about feeling how different it feels when you move for joy and for well-being. Um, and, and, and I think that's why, you know, the, the things that you both do, um, the, the kind of movement that you offer is so important because it is about joy. It is about finding the fun factor again in, in moving, um, which is probably lost for loads of people. I mean, I, I don't see many people smile at the gym. I mean, I don't go anymore because I've realized for myself, that's not the kind of movement that I enjoy personally, not dissing any gyms, but I don't feel like there's a lot of happy people there. It's more 
okay, got to do the 30 minutes on the whatever machine now. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it is about finding out what feels good for you. Mm. And that could be literally anything. That could be dancing, that could be bell exercise, that could be mm -hmm. yoga, that could be walking, it could be, you know, sitting on a chair and doing some chair-based exercises, mm -hmm. really whatever works yeah. and whatever feels good. Um, and yeah, and exploring that, trying out a few things. I think what's not spoken about enough as well, and what's actually even considered is that different people produce different endorphins um, from exercise. So not everyone's gonna have the same high at the end of an exercise. And that's why obviously literally everybody's different. Um, that's why you get people that are so like, for me, the endorphins and the high from, from after I've exercised is literally to the point where it was getting addictive and I had to keep going, I had to keep doing it. And then my body was like, no, stop. And, and, and I, I, that's why I've, I've always, always loved movement because of that. But, and that's, you know, if I hadn't have loved it as much as that, my relationship would have been so damaged by now because of diet culture. And, and so it's appreciating that, okay, not everyone's going to get that high. Not, not everyone's going to get that buzz because it's literally been, been proven that, that, you know, everybody produces in different levels of, of endorphins. And it's, That's so uh, interesting. So do, do you, do people build up a, a tolerance to that as well and therefore kind of need to go like with, with, with it, like with an addiction where you have to kind of keep going I'm not yeah sure. it, it, it is supposed to be likened to a drug like drug addiction so mm -hmm. that is why you'll find people will start off doing something they'll really enjoy it and then they'll do it more and then they'll do it more and then they'll do it more and that is how that disordered relationship can come about because actually you can get to a stage where you're doing something and you hate doing it you really don't you don't want to be doing it but equally if you're not doing it you hate it even more so that's how you join up the two and I think it's important to note as well that life changes so the exercise that you enjoy isn't always going to be the same it's it's not I had a, a conversation with a client a while ago about how I, I literally wasn't getting any time to lift weights and lifting weights is something I really enjoy but I had that much um, between having a new baby and going back to work and teaching my classes the exercise that I was getting was from teaching my classes and while I enjoy teaching my classes and I enjoyed that cardio it wasn't the same it wasn't as fulfilling. It, I didn't enjoy it in the way that I enjoyed lifting weights. So once a week, I started even 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just getting my husband to be home from work on time so that I could have that little bit of time and the difference in my mood elevation. And I noticed, yeah, because that that is what I really enjoy. Yet when I was pregnant, the thought of lifting a weight I just I, co I couldn't deal with it but a lot of people can do that all the way through pregnancy and they enjoy so 
it goes in waves. It's not, you're not always going to love the same thing. Same as five years ago, I was out running half marathons and I really enjoyed that. And now if I do five miles on a run or if, if I get out for a run ever, then great, brilliant. I love it. But beyond that, I find it exhausting and uncomfortable and I just can't be bothered. I just don't, <laughs> like, why, why would I want to run <laughs> miles why would I do that to myself and I don't enjoy yoga I cannot stand it and I one of my best friends is a yoga instructor and she keeps telling me that there's different kinds and it's about finding the right instructor and for some people they will persevere and they will find that right instructor but for me having that space to be in 30 seconds in one pause my brain works too much Mm -hmm. so I I can't find that calm but it's like that with food, like, and this is why, as you say, people worry about overeating and, and maybe gaining weight, the body changing, but just being out of control with it. I go through phases of I will eat the same breakfast over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because I enjoy it and I like it and I'll stick with it. And then I'll change to something else for like another six months mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's not just habit it's if you find something you enjoy you stick with it and that's Mm -hmm. it's normal and it's natural but you're not going to do it forever and ever and ever in the rest of your life Mm -hmm. so it's crazy to make that assumption about food but it is it is that thing that is so ingrained in us is that we will be so out of control we will not be able to stop and we will eat I mean I promoted everyone eating ice cream and ice lollies for three meals a day when it was a heat wave because you would get sick of it if someone told you you could only eat chocolate all of the time and you couldn't eat salad anymore you would be really sick of the fact that you couldn't do that Mm -hmm. but for some reason we think that when it's the other way around yeah. we can't we, we have this rule that we can't eat chocolate of course we're going to be out of control around it yeah it's funny isn't it because no one would say i would be out of control around that salad bowl careful no one would mm. no one would sort of make that that assumption but it, what, what you just said is just it's just so important about you know just going with that accepting that yes there will be change and life changes that circumstances change and that reflects on you know what we're eating how we're moving Mm. everyone is is different and what comes out for me there is how much of a hard time we're giving ourselves and again that goes back to all of those shoulds that we're putting all over us you know the the you Mm. should be doing this you shouldn't be doing that it's it's just really sad we're beating ourselves up over those things that in in a nutshell are really not that important to our overall health um but by beating ourselves up over it we're really damaging our mental health and our happiness that's one of my favorite um excuse me principles from intuitive eating is discover the satisfaction factor Mm. and i just find that such an important one that people miss because mm. it's like if you're allowing yourself to eat food but then you're not feeling satisfied that's still a level of, of deprivation isn't it yeah um and again that's that's so 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 important mm. 
It really is. Yeah, satisfaction. I mean, the satisfaction factor is sort of described as the hub of intuitive eating because it kind of feeds into all of the other principles. Because, you know, if you eat when you're not hungry, the meal's not going to be that satisfying. If you eat when you're too full, the meal's not going to be that satisfying. If you have diet thoughts in your head, you won't be satisfied with your meal. If you are, you know, going through some trauma or some emotions that are difficult to deal with, food's not going to be very satisfying. It, it kind of feeds into all of them. And it is really important. And I think so many people have told me, oh, if there, you know, if there was a pill I could take, that means I never have to cook a meal again or eat food again, I would take that. It makes me really sad because food is such is so much more than fuel and nutrients it's about connecting it's about you know sensations flavor um it's sensual it's just it, it it connects people and it's really sad to hear that some people would rather not and and that it literally is all diet culture you know the the fear of food is all from diet culture we, we are not born like that we're not born being scared of food it is drummed into us mm -hmm. from when we're little Just and you know the narrative me. about you know weight in, in children makes me very angry so it's something that I feel needs to be stamped out mm -hmm. because children are growing up with that kind of thought and it becomes sort of ingrained in our brains doesn't it it is slightly terrifying I mean I I, I even yesterday, uh, I was at my parents' house and my mum was saying that their local council has now employed someone to deal with the child obesity uh, crisis that is happening in their town because they have the third highest rate of child obesity. And I was trying to explain to her, one, there's no such thing as, as this obesity epidemic that they're talking about. I said they're doing it based on weights that are based on BMI that is a load of crap yeah they're, they're weighing these children when they're still in developmental stages anyway there's no such thing as an average weight or a healthy weight or it's all factors that they're building on nothing and she kept saying which really got to me um yeah, but it comes down to the parents, doesn't it? It comes down to what the parents are giving the children and all of these parents that are just feeding their kids on takeaways and fast food. And I was like, it really doesn't, it really doesn't. You're missing the point of the fact mm. that these, these kids, there's nothing wrong with their weight. There's nothing. And what we're doing by talking about this weight problem is creating a negative relationship with food for these children. Also saying that it's the problem of the parents mm. and we need, we need to educate the parents. While I don't disagree that we need to educate the parents, we need to educate them on the negative impact that diet culture is having on the kids. We need to stop talking about diet around these children. We need to stop talking about obesity. We need to recognize socioeconomic status as well. It's not yes. just you're sat talking about these people who are feeding their kids on takeaways. And, and she's like, you know, you could just get a bag of taties and you could get your corned beef and you've got your protein and your fats and your carbs. You could make a corned beef passion. I'm like, no, this is, this is, 
you're totally missing the point. And also, if you bought a tin of corned beef in the last 20 years, it's about three quid for a tin. That's not a cheap meal. (laughs) People just, they don't understand that there's so much nuance to it. And there's, there's so much, there's so much more than just what a child is eating. There's so much more than what a child weighs. Why are we not looking at if the, a child is nutritionally, if they are healthy, are, are, the, are the family able, are they in a position to give their children a varied diet? And if not, we need to look at that rather than looking at the number on the scale or the clothing size of a child. But then it's exactly the same as an approach for an adult. But what we're doing now is teaching a child at a very young age that they need to think about every single thing that they're eating mm-hmm. and create a negative relationship with what they're eating. It, it just, it drives me insane. And I got so angry about it. So, I mean, you can tell the rant that I'm going on. But for you, obviously, um you're talking about where you've you've originally started you're working with these families mm-hmm. do you still do you ever get the opportunity to have that sort of impact now in an intuitive eating role or is that something that you've mm-hmm. you're totally unable to do um no th- there, there is and I I'm glad you asked the question because I, I like to sort of mix things up from from the inside <laughs> so I I do I have been invited to talk about nutrition in my children's school. And since I've been doing intuitive eating, I've really changed the narrative on that. So I, I really talk about all bodies and um, that weight isn't a thing that we need to be concerned about. And that's, it's about how we feel and how, you know, how we feel about foods and not to demonize foods. And there's a lot on language. I work I work with an organization that works with nursery schools. So we talk a lot about the language that we use at mealtimes and how we can make that more neutral. Um, I do run fussy eating um, workshops for, for parents. And that is all about building that relationship from the ground up, from weaning age, really, to um, to, to kind of to help the parents as well, because they they are in this kind of mindset and they need to unlearn all of those kind of things that could potentially be harmful and negative so yeah I, I it's it's a massive undertaking though because you know public health is getting a lot of money put into this um and 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 the narratives that your mum was sort of using it is just so typical because it's it's such an easy culprit it's such an easy black sheep to use it's all about the food it's all about what parents feed their children that is the issue here. No one is looking at socioeconomic um, issues and social determinants of health because that is bloody hard to change that. And it's gonna be super expensive to change that. So no, we're gonna place this blame on the individual and then we're gonna wash our hands of it. That's what the government does with, with, the, with that kind of rhetoric and narrative. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm coming on your soapbox, Amy. I'm gonna help you shout from there um, because it is just so much more nuanced and complex than just saying, oh, it's all about the food and it's all about the weight. And as you said, you know, basing weight on, on a very, very deeply flawed measure of BMI is just, it's just complete and utter nonsense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? I think we're going to have to have you on for another podcast. <laughs> just yes. to literally just to talk about that. 
because there's so much to say <laughs> well there, there is actually a lot to say yeah. and you know when the new academic year starts the whole weighing and measuring issues will come back in so I'm it, it frustrates me like crazy because i i know that with any child they have a state of going up and out and up and out mm -hmm. and then so what are you just going to weigh them and judge them when they're at a stage when they when they're at a stage of out mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and then say you're you're, and, you're doing a bad job of being yeah, a mother exactly but even well, even if out stays and up doesn't happen yeah, and yeah. out stays that's not a bad thing exactly. that doesn't say anything about that child's health that child might be very active and just being very just very happy and thriving but it's just basing everything on a number it's just complete and utter nonsense yeah and it does need to be it does need to be said for any parents that are listening and are worried about getting their child weighed in schools you can opt out you, you do can, not yeah. have to get your child weighed um, and if you want any more information on that I would strongly recommend that you follow Body Happy Org on mm -hmm. social media um, and they are doing a lot to um, improve ch children's body image from a young age as well if you want to learn more about that um, and if, if anybody out there is interested in knowing more about intuitive eating for themselves for their children and dealing with fussy eaters that they should definitely be following you Ella um yeah. because come and join the crowd <laughs> yeah and, and, and on your soapbox as well we'll yeah. be on our soapbox together <laughs> we've got a um amazing course um that Ella and I do on um the body image fitness membership which is called trust your choices um and that is um launching in September mm -hmm. so we'll put details of that in uh in the, the show notes as well yeah, I'm very excited to, to do that because it is, it's a really lovely introduction into intuitive eating. And the beauty of the course is that it builds a community. So and all the participants that are there get a, a, an opportunity to, to chat and to discuss and share experiences. So it's not just me downloading information, yeah. but it's about that community that you feel, like, oh, actually, there are other people embarking on this. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ella. Honestly, literally talked for hours. Glory, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, glory. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to, to chat to you both. Oh, and you, it's been absolutely wonderful. And I'm sure you will be getting a lot more followers. And that course is going to be full come September. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Come and join. <laughs> join the membership because, you know, that is that is an awesome, awesome membership that they yeah. get from you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Have Pleasure. a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.